Welcome to Under the Dome. I'm Kyle Ingram filling in for Don Vaughn, and you're listening to our latest episode for the week of February 12th, 2024. I'm here today with McClatchy DC correspondent Danielle Battaglia and reporters Mary Ramsey and Kendrick Marshall from our sister paper, The Charlotte Observer. Since we're one month out from Super Tuesday, The News and Observer and Charlotte Observer have released a special report last week with guides to the North Carolina primary election. So one of the big things in a primary is that voters are only voting for one party. So that typical tool that we have to see what a candidate might think about the issues is not present. But one thing we do have is endorsements. And as I understand, there's been some confusion with that. Right, Danielle? There's been so much confusion with it, and I'm still dealing with it this week. Um, Yeah, one of the things that we talked about early on in this campaign cycle is when we look at endorsements typically in the Republican primary, um, you know, at some point you kind of could tell who the candidates were and who was coming up ahead by whether, you know, say the former president was endorsing someone or Club for Growth or Americans for Prosperity. And those groups aren't necessarily getting along, nor is the Republican Party getting along quite as well as they used to be. And so we really wanted to dig in and see what these endorsements now mean. And so can you run me through some of the examples of where an endorsement maybe actually didn't turn out being what people said it was? Yeah, we've had two examples of that in the six districts or the six districts in the triad. It's... um, where uh, Representative Kathy Manning currently represents, but it is now a Republican-leaning district. So there is a lot of Republicans running there. And uh, it originally started, there was about a 48-hour period where we uh, were learning that endorsements weren't what they appeared to be. It started with Christian Castelli's campaign. He's a Green Beret. And Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson came out and said, wait a minute, I didn't endorse him. And they're claiming otherwise. And it turned out there was a super pack out of Greensboro that no one's taking credit for running. And they are using Castelli's 2022 endorsements and claiming them as 2024 endorsements. So they've done Richard Petty, the NASCAR legend. They've done uh, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. They've done uh, Mike Pompeo, the former Secretary of State. And so that was already rallying people up. And then came... The big one where uh, it turns out that um, the next day, former Congressman Mark Robinson, he had said he had a bunch of endorsements from members of Congress. And back to back, we heard House Speaker Mike Johnson didn't endorse him. Uh, again, Pompeo didn't endorse him. And then Senator Mark Wayne Mullen told us I didn't endorse him either. And these were people that he had consistently said endorsed him. And so he was able to provide me with text messages that showed that uh, that House Speaker Johnson had endor- had said he would endorse him prior to becoming Speaker. And they said, we told him after we were Speaker, we couldn't do this. He continued to run with it. Actually, let me back that up. He didn't continue to run with it, but he never pulled it off pages. So, And then with, uh, with Pompeo, they said that they weren't endorsing in this race. He was claiming otherwise. He had text messages where Pompeo said, I'm happy to endorse you. Please work with my staff to do this. Don't know what went on after that text, but he's saying, I'm not endorsing in six. And then came uh, Senator Mark Wayne Mullen, who I understand has said to people on the Hill, who is this guy? I've never heard of him. And uh, there was no backup for what, like there was nothing that showed he ever said he would endorse Mark that's Walker. so strange so yeah so for mark walker is there any recourse for these people who 
where he said that he had endorsements from, and then they ended up not having done that? I mean, it's funny. I'm I'm working on looking more deeper into this right now, and and I've been talking to people, and like for someone like House Speaker Johnson, obviously his name means something behind these candidates, but like if you're talking about some random person from like Nevada who's in Congress, is there really a point into getting in for to like an argument over whether you endorse someone or not if he wins the election? Like, will it help them to get into a fight now? For his campaign. So do they even say anything? So it's interesting to um, watch this kind of unfold and see how people are reacting to it. I will. And you mentioned Mark Robinson's endorsement. So I want to switch gears and talk to you, Kendrick, about some reporting you've been doing. Um, If uh, Mark Robinson were elected to be governor, he'd be the first black governor of North Carolina. Um, But you've been doing some reporting on how black voters might feel about him. That's right. Um, I have been curious about Mark Robinson for a while. I moved to Charlotte in 2022 and had heard nothing but interesting things about Mark Robinson. As as the audience probably knows, the things he says, the things he does. And I was wondering, well, since he's running for governor, whether or not any black, considering the historical perspective of of his candidacy and what it would mean if he would be governor, supported him. So I talked to people here in Charlotte. I talked to people in rural areas as well. And the consistency overwhelmingly is that there isn't very much black support for him um, based on the fact he says things against LGBTQ people, against Muslims. And he even spoke out against Dr. King saying like he was a communist and a fraud as a pastor. Um, and I, I think those type of comments aren't things that people want to be associated with, especially since. It's, it's been observed that he kind of runs his campaign or his campaign style is similar to Donald Trump. And for a lot of black people, they don't want to have anything to do with Donald Trump either because they think he's bad for democracy. They believe he's racist. They believe all the ills that we see and, and read about him in the public. So if Mark Robinson is going to embody that image, black people, from what I understand, don't want to support him. Though there is a small contingent, as I wrote in my story, of black people, mostly Republicans and conservatives, who do tout Mark Robinson and believe that only people heard him out, if only people just gave him a chance, that they will see he's not that bad of a guy that the media they think portrays him to be. So you talked to some political science people for this story, right? What what did they say? Does he need this block in order to win the governorship or can he win without it? Not necessarily. Um, Mark Robinson, according to one political analyst, said he would only need just more than Republicans in the state normally get, which would be maybe around 20% of the black vote. And for um, Democrats, he said they need the black vote probably more than Mark Robinson does, um, was was interesting to find out. But as you know, uh, in the state of of North Carolina, only 3% of all registered black voters are Republican. So he he will only get a small percentage anyway. If, If all the black Republicans were to vote for him, he still will get a small percentage, even if some were to shift from Democrat or independent to to um, vote for him. It'll be a small number, almost insignificant. So it really wouldn't tip the scales in his favor that much. Um, he will have to maybe steal the white um, Democrat voters away or some white independents away for him to, to make up whatever gap there is between him and whatever the Democratic candidate is. And so this wouldn't be his first statewide election that he would have won. So he's been able to do it before. But as I think uh, one of your political science sources said, 
North Carolina does have a history of uh, electing or voting for a Republican presidential candidate, but voting for a Democrat for governor. So we'll have to see how that plays out uh, in this upcoming election. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Mary from the Child Observer about what might be happening with one of the most uh, known people from the legislature and who's challenging her in the upcoming primary. You're listening to Under the Dome. I'm state politics reporter Kyle Ingram here with reporters Danielle Battaglia, Kendrick Marshall and Mary Ramsey. Before the break, we were talking about some of the mix ups that happened with uh, congressional endorsements for North Carolina candidates. And then we also talked about what impact black voters could have on the gubernatorial race here in North Carolina. We're going to turn now to probably one of the most well-known lawmakers in North Carolina politics, uh, made uh, some pretty big waves in the past legislative session. This is, of course, Representative Trisha Cotham, started the legislative session as a Democrat and then switched to a Republican, which gave the Republicans a supermajority in both chambers of the legislature that they've been able to pass a lot of bills with uh, over the governor's veto. So, Mary, I understand there's some people who actually running against her. Tell me about that. There are three people interested in running against her. In fact, three candidates in the Democratic primary in House District 105, which is Southern Mecklenburg County. Uh, This is a new district for Representative Cotham. Um, She moved districts in the wake of redistricting. And this district is considered more Republican leaning. Uh, than her previous district, but that doesn't mean Democrats are conceding it. Uh, got three candidates running in the primary. One, Yolanda Holmes, actually ran against Cotham in the Democratic primary last time around. So a familiar opponent on that front. There's also Nicole Sidman, um, who works at Temple Bethel, a very large Jewish congregation here in Charlotte and also has political experience. She ran Christy Clark's 2018 House campaign. And then you've got Terry Lansdell, another well-known figure here in town. He's been a vocal advocate on transit policy for many years um, and serves as the executive director of Bike Walk NC here in Charlotte. All right. So how are these candidates working to distinguish themselves? I'm sure they all have different visions on how they would work in the legislature as Democrats rather than Cotham now being a Republican. But what are the differences between them? Absolutely. When it comes to their platforms, um, one of the big things Yolanda Holmes told us that she's really focusing on is reproductive health care. Obviously, abortion has been a high interest both nationally and in North Carolina. Uh, Terry Lansdell, as I mentioned, has a lot of background in transit and transportation policy. Um, and that's something he's, again, making a centerpiece of his campaign, um, talking about both the mobility plan here in Mecklenburg County, as well as the impact that transit has on other parts of life and quality of life in Charlotte, in the Charlotte area, such as affordable housing and business development. And then Nicole Sidman also brought up uh, reproductive health when talking about what the biggest issues are for her campaign, um, also bringing up issues of economic mobility um, here in Charlotte. Is it possible to tell at this point if anybody's a front runner or is it anyone's game in the primary right now? I spoke with veteran Democratic strategist Stan McCorkle, and he told me he sees it as a pretty open field. Um, He thinks endorsements and fundraising are going to be big for all three candidates and whoever can kind of get a leg up in those departments really will have an advantage as we head towards March. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of spending and attention on these races. And as you mentioned, this district is more Republican leaning than where Cotham ran before, but it's it's still pretty close. I think the Democrats would potentially have a chance there, right? Definitely. I spoke with the GOP strategist Larry Shaheen as well about this race, and he said he thinks uh, what it'll come down to in November has a lot less to do with who the Democrats nominate 
then who is going to be at the top of the ticket? This is a presidential election year. There's always plenty of trickle down effect from the presidential race to these more local races. Um, And Larry told me that he frankly thinks Donald Trump getting the Republican nomination would not be good news for Cotham's reelection chances. While this is a more Republican leaning district, it's not necessarily a Trump Republican leaning district. And that could create some issues if the Democratic candidate who emerges out of the March primary is able to um, in or is able to pr- present themselves as a more moderate option. I see. Yeah, I guess there's also the worry that if Trump's on the ballot, people are going to come out specifically to vote against him. So you'll have more Democrats coming in, potentially leading to consequences for the Republican supermajority. Absolutely. As much as we think of Trisha Cotham as a very high profile member of the legislature, there are frankly a lot of voters who don't pay a lot of attention to state politics, but would turn out for a presidential election and will basically just vote based on the political party next to somebody's game. So it could definitely end up being a turnout game in this district. All right. Well, let's turn to our headliners of the weeks. Um, Who wants to go first? I'll call on Mary. Sure. Yeah. Something I'm really excited about uh, here at The Observer, our new education reporter, Rebecca Noel, starts next week. She comes to us from Houston's NPR affiliate, has a lot of great experience covering schools in Houston, um, which is a very high interest district. I actually just had lunch with Rebecca today and she was telling me all about some of the drama they've been having in that district. So she comes to Charlotte with a lot of experience under her belt. We're looking forward to her getting started. And I personally, no offense to uh, the lovely people of the Charlotte Mecklenburg school board and looking forward to turning that beat back over to her. (laughs) Well, that's great. Excited to see her byline. Danielle, who do you have as your headliner for the week? I am going with uh, a kind of duo one, but if you were paying attention to Congress this week, we were having the uh, very interesting, should we impeach um, uh, Mayorkas vote, which would be the interesting thing. But what happened in that vote is they didn't have the numbers for Republicans to vote him, to vote to impeach him. And the most interesting part of that was the person they that they thought would not be able to tie up this vote and make it fail was in the hospital. And he came in a wheelchair, in his hospital gown, in his socks from the hospital, wheeled himself in and voted no on the impeachment. That was uh, Representative Al Green. And so he stopped that from happening. Has Was there not a thing, at least during the height of the pandemic, where Congress was allowed to do proxy voting? They were allowed to do proxy voting. In the House, you ha- you didn't have to be present at the Capitol at all. In the Senate, you had to be present somewhere in the building, but you didn't have to be on the floor. McCarthy got rid of that as soon as he became House Speaker. I see. All right. And you said there was a, a second part to your headliner? It was just the Mayorkas vote. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. All right. Kendrick, how about you? What's your headliner for the week? Yeah, I'm going to pivot to what I said in the pre-show meeting. Um, uh, earlier this week, some folks in Union County were vehemently against fluoride supply in, in the water, and, and they petitioned the, uh, the the Union County Board and the commissioners to get rid of fluoride because they think some way it negatively impacts the mental health of young people and the community. And I thought it was pretty interesting because conspiracies, as we know, are born of kind of odd things. And we use fluoride in toothpaste and mouthwashes. The dentist even recommends we use fluoride to keep our teeth healthy. And to have people say, no, this is bad for you, it's kind of confounding to me. So I thought it was kind of interesting uh, to to bring up. 
Yeah, definitely. That kind of feels like a Parks and Recreation plot. I think I might have seen that on a sitcom before. All right. Well, my headliner of the week uh, is going to be some national news that we haven't really confirmed yet. It could change. Who knows in national politics? But there was a report on Tuesday from The New York Times that the chair of the RNC, uh, Ron McDaniels, is potentially planning on stepping down. And that's interesting to us here in North Carolina, because allegedly the person that Donald Trump would like to take her position is Michael Watley, who currently is the chair of the North Carolina Republican Party. Uh, He's been chair for, I believe, three terms now. And uh, one of the things mentioned in the report is that Trump is a fan of Watley for spreading some of these disproven conspiracy theories about the 2020 election and whether the results were fraudulent or things like that. It's been tried in multiple uh, court trials in 2020. All of them did not find any significant levels of fraud that would have changed the results of the election. So we'll see if that ends up panning out. Um, nobody was has confirmed anything at this point. The spokesperson for the RNC said, Nothing's changed. We'll deal with this after the South Carolina primary. So we'll keep an eye on that, see if there might be a North Carolina connection to the RNC. Um, But thank you all for joining me. Um, I'm Kyle Ingram for the News and Observer and Charlotte Observer. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you here next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.